This is Unbroken, healing through storytelling. Just to let you know, we have a vodcast on YouTube where you can watch the edited highlights of the episode. And don't forget to subscribe. If you fancy the full audio version, symbols, just keep listening. Oh, and if you've got a second, please give us five stars and a review. It really helps us stand out and get this important message to even more people that need to hear it the most. Meantime, enjoy today's episode. My guest today is Louise Beach. It took many years and many rejections for Louise to finally get a book deal in 2015. Her debut, How to Be Brave, got to number four on Amazon and was a Guardian reader's pick. Maria in the Moon was described as quirky, darkly comic and heartfelt by the Sunday Mirror. The Lion Tamer Who Lost was shortlisted for the popular romantic novel of 2019 at the RNA Awards and longlisted for the Polari Prize 2019. Call Me Stargirl, long listed for The Guardian's Not The Booker Prize and was Best Magazine's Best Book of the Year 2019. I Am Dust was a Crime Magazine monthly pick and This Is How We Are Human was a Claire McIntosh Book Club pick. Louise's memoir, Daffodils, will be released in audiobook on the 1st of April, exploring a shocking family suicide attempt and a difficult childhood. Nothing else, her eighth novel, be released on the 23rd of June. And I almost feel like I wouldn't want to be fixed or perfect because I wouldn't write the books I write if I was. I'd already detached from my mother at the age of nine. I was able to make peace in a way with the past. I was able to put an underline beneath it. I do believe that when the time comes and we're really okay, what we need to know will come back. Maybe you've got as much as you need to know right now. If I'm in a room with someone and I think that they feel uncomfortable, I'll be the one who will try and lighten the mood with a joke, make them feel welcome. So that is the truth too. Hiding how I'm really feeling with humour, that's another thing that's probably true. Hello and welcome to the show. Louise, how are you? Oh, wow. Hello, Madeline. It's so <laughs> exciting to be part of this because obviously I've watched this grow and happen for you over the last year so here I am <laughs> yeah and for those of you that don't know Louise is not only a fabulous author but she's a really good friend so I'm, I'm very looking forward to this now the format as you know because the show's called Unbroken is my first question I ask everyone is what does that word unbroken mean to you first of all I feel like you have to be broken to be unbroken mm -hmm. I feel like if nothing happens to us in life that changes us or challenges us or transforms us in some way, then we're not, we're not unbroken because we've never been broken. Mm -hmm. And I suppose unbroken means that you face these challenges and difficulties in your life um, in, with whatever tools that you need. And uh, obviously, we'll probably talk about it. Some of my tools are humour and mm -hmm. writing. <laughs> um, and Coming out of the other side and not fixed, because I don't believe we can be fixed because we're none of us perfect, are we? And, yeah. and I almost feel like I wouldn't want to be fixed or perfect because I wouldn't write the books I write if I was. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of what unbroken means to me. As you know, everybody gives me a very different um, definition of their unbroken. And I like that one. It's like we're on a continuing journey, really, aren't we? We are. Just we to... are. Yeah. Every day. <laughs> So you have written loads of fiction novels. Why did you finally decide to write a memoir? Because we had a conversation a while ago and you said you wouldn't write it while your mum was still alive. But clearly that changed. Oh, my word. I did say that to you, didn't I? I had forgotten that. 
Yeah. Oh, wow. Yes, I did say that because obviously I've often referred to Maria in the Moon as being the memoir I could never write because it's about a woman who has a very traumatic event happen to her when she's a child and how she buries it. And then the floods happen and it all comes out, so to speak. Um, and yes, I said I, I kind of used my experiences to write that book. And I didn't know if I could write my real story while my mum was still around. But then in 2019, she um, she was very, very depressed and she went up to the Humber Bridge and she jumped and she miraculously, to this day, I do not know how, because I've been and looked uh, where she jumped. I have been and looked yeah. with you. We, the yeah. police tape was still present, actually, and it's high up. So, yeah. It's, shocking. It's shocking. shocking. Yep. It's the stuff almost of miracles. It really is. I mean, people joke about these things. It's the stuff of miracles, but she did survive. Um, she did end up with horrific injuries and is a wheelchair user now. Mm-hmm. Um, and when that happened, obviously for the next probably eight, nine months, I was just dealing with that and trying to juggle that with writing and still doing book tours and um, supporting my family and my siblings obviously going through the same. And then she actually had her leg amputated on the 11th of November, which was eight months after the jump. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what it was about that. But the next day was when I started writing the memoir, thinking, I can look back on my childhood, my difficult life, my relationship with my mother, beginning with the moment that she jumped off the bridge. So I have to say it was that. that yes, it, but you're saying you don't know what it was about, but, but there seems to be something um, that links the leg coming off to you deciding, right, I'm going to write my story. I'm going to write what happened to us. Yeah, it's, it's strange, isn't it, that it was that day? I mean... There was, there's a, there was a comedy element to the decision because it happened on the 11th of November, which is obviously Veterans Day. Mm-hmm. And we all joked together that even, even in that situation, that grave situation of having a leg removed, you know, she has to outshine the veterans. She has to do it on that day. She knows so there was, there was an element of our usual humour. And, mm-hmm. and I just sat down the next day and I just began the book. And it does open with that scene. So it's a very shocking first chapter to a memoir really isn't it but it's great because it's it just takes you straight in it does and on the morning that she jumped obviously none of us had any idea that was going to happen I normally go out for my walk which I do for my mental health (laughs) for my mental well-being Mm -hmm. I normally go about 10 to 11 between 10 and 11 and that morning Joe my husband was waiting for a parcel and he said will you be in all day and I said no I'd be doing my walk and he's like oh can't you stay in I said no I really need to do my walk I was very mindful at that moment of mental health because my mother was very depressed and it was lockdown as well wasn't it no that was the year before I wrote it in lockdown yeah that, that kind of came into that um, and he said, oh, would you not just go on your walk now so that you're in all day? And this is at eight o'clock in the morning in February. It was practically not even light. And I said, oh, seriously, down the river at this time. But I did, to be nice to Joe, went for a walk much earlier than normal. And down on the river, the mist was kind of just rolling in and the light was coming. And there were these absolutely beautiful daffodils so early in February. And it took my breath away where I stopped and I took a photograph and thought, wow. Those are saying something to me. That's what it felt like in that moment. And then I carried on my walk and I got home. Now, had I gone for my walk at the normal time, I could well have passed the bridge where my mother jumped. So I felt like that whole situation, the daffodils, the parcel, that kind of stopped me 
seeing that it. Yeah. awful thing. Oh, I know. And, I, and I, know. I know that. And even when I hear it again, I get uh, goosebumps all over listening to you say that. Gosh. And, uh, and I put that photograph away, you know, the one I took. Mm-hmm. I was going to Instagram it later because it was so lovely. And obviously the day that happened, the phone call from my, my, uh, was my sister, sorry, it was my no, it was my brother that rang me. Gosh, yeah, it was my brother that rang me. Then I forgot that photograph. And f- two months later, I found that picture on my phone and it still took my breath away. And I thought, oh, my word, that was that morning. That was 8.15 on that morning. And again, that reminded me that if I did write anything, it would have to be to do with the daffodils as well. But yeah, It, it seems like there was something protecting you, doesn't there, from seeing... Yeah, it really does. (laughs) What does it do? Because I know that bridge is part of your walk. So how does that affect you? Because you still do your walk every morning. Does it change the bridge for you? What you know? How do you feel about it when you see the bridge? Because it's quite a stunning piece of architecture as well, isn't it? Yeah, because I love the bridge. I've grown up loving that bridge. That Mm -hmm. that bridge. I've nearly always been able to see it from wherever I live, Mm -hmm. or hear the rumble of traffic. And we've always gone down on the foreshore, which is lovely where you, you've been with me, where the yep. river is. So I've loved that bridge. So for a while, she kind of indirectly ruined my relationship with the bridge. And I'll be honest with you, I haven't walked across it since. I've, I've walked under and I've seen, and I did just go to the spot at the very start of the bridge where, where she did jump. I haven't walked across um, since, and I don't really want to a couple of friends have done charity walks across the bridge and asked me and I've just said I'm just not ready to walk across yet and I'm not sure why because I went and looked at the spot it's weird isn't it yeah I did I, there was something that I wondered whether it did change change it for you so yeah. it starts with your mum's attempt but it also explores your memoir daffodils your childhood and I know we've connected really a lot about memories and lack of memories and it was really through Maria in the, in the moon that we really you know, bonded and connected because mm. a similar story, but yours was fiction at that point. Can you explain to us what you mean by you say your difficult childhood? Okay. Um, we, we now think that we, we know that my mum had personal depression with all of us. We know that she was in a difficult marriage. Um, my father is very different to my mother. We, we now think genuinely that he's on the autism spectrum. Um, So that made for a difficult relationship because my mother, we believe, has narcissistic personality disorder. So those two characters together, it's a very incompatible marriage. And it really was. And there were a lot of fights um, and violence in the house. And she she, she did get personality depression, which I have a great deal of compassion and sympathy for. And I think that uh, lack of leveling the balance of her hormones, I think that stayed throughout her life. And she was... Um, she did get chronic depression regularly and again I have a lot of sympathy for that as well but she was an alcoholic and she could she was a neglectful mother her alcohol came first her boyfriend came first and we were she made a suicide attempt when I was nine which failed um, and she was in the hospital and we went into care me and my sisters went to live with my grandma uh, in Middlesbrough my brother actually got fostered and I was desperately sad and missed him and we because were you really from... were like the mother figure, weren't you? You're the older yeah. sister and yeah. you have your twin sisters and your brother <laughs> and you, you've always been so protective, but really maternal towards them all. Yes, I know. It's like my brother now has a, 
a son, a little baby, Ralph, mm-hmm. he's adorable. And everyone keeps thinking he's my grandchild because that's how I yes. behave with him. Yeah. I look after him like he is, and he feels like he is. He's not, yeah. he's my nephew, but but because I looked after my brother, I feel like I look after Ralph too. But I did, I looked, I looked after, I had to look after them because we eventually came home after being in care. But I'm just wondering what that rent was like to have your brother slash son taken away from you while you girls were together. That broke me, my heart more than my mother being gone. I, the really sad thing is, this is so sad to say, to be fair, I'd already detached from my mother at the age of nine because there was an absence when the twins were born, when I was four, when she went into a psychiatric unit. She was actually taken away literally by a man in a white coat when I was, uh, like I say, four. And I, and I believe my grandma told me she was absent for 15 weeks in a facility. So I'd already experienced having my mother taken away from me. So I almost felt like it's sad, isn't it, to say only nine. I felt like I would experienced that and I was used to that but my brother being gone I missed him desperately when I was away I was I always wonder where is he is he okay is is he being looked after and and that's kind of sad for a nine-year-old to not want her mum but to want the boy that she sees as a child and it's also sad to hear that responsibility on your shoulders at just nine years old that you had taken on that role to keep you all together all your siblings Yes, I feel that now. Um, Huge responsibility. Yeah, I'm always I'm always the one who mediates and organises and protects and sorts and mm-hmm. arranges, if that makes sense. And I just can't help that. I do that now. It's a role you've always done, isn't it? Yeah, it's a natural role. And I'm not grumbling because I enjoy that maternal role. I, I like I like giving love. And the sad thing is, when you don't receive the love you want from your mother, I've learned that there's as much joy and happiness in giving it in a way. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. Well, you yeah. you put it out even though you weren't getting it back. Yeah, yeah, because that and gave me great joy. And were you able to do that with your mum? Um, Show her love even though she was very unable to return it? Yes, I think I was because I've been very tolerant and I've forgiven a great deal. And when the bridge jump did happen, all four of us siblings, we were there around the clock for the first probably month or two somebody was always at her bedside while she was in intensive care and she recovered and we did absolutely everything we could we got her the best care we sorted out helped to sort out a flat to live in because she couldn't go back to where she had lived um yes I think I've I think I've probably given my mother more than anyone else might mm-hmm. having had a mother who doesn't and, and this to me from because I know you and I know the family's a very thin line I think between love and duty as a daughter yes a lot of it was duty because I felt guilty if I didn't um I will say that I do now not have a relationship with my mother I ended the relationship with her about five months ago Uh, it was a difficult decision but I had to do it for my own mental well-being because I got to the age of 50 and I thought Louise you've more or less mothered her and parented her and given your whole life And now that she's recovered and she is doing well, uh, living her life again, she just went back to being the person that she was before the bridge. And and that That person was running you down and not a a positive force in your life. Yes, yes. So I I had to do that. And don't get me wrong, I feel incredibly guilty. Um, Mother's Day is going to be hard. Uh, By the time this airs, I think Mother's Day will have passed, but it's going to be hard. Um, but I think it's the first time genuinely in my life that I've really put myself first. That's probably why I feel guilty. 
Yeah, it's hard, isn't it? Because actually self-care is not a selfish act. Self-care is, is so important. And yet, as women, I think we're really good at piling on the guilt because we shouldn't do that. Society mm-hmm. thinks tells us that we shouldn't abandon our mothers. But if there's a negative, toxic environment in your life, you would tell anyone else to not yeah. put yourself around it. Oh, gosh, yeah. if so, the amount of people around me who love me, who had known over the years how my mother had behaved and I'd seen some of the letters that she'd written me and the things she'd done every single one of them I swear said to me why do you put up with it Louise why and I couldn't answer that well said because she's my mother because I should and they said but you shouldn't and it's our our conditioning isn't it by society you know you're the daughter she's a mum she's elderly now she's had an extreme accident and Mm -hmm. is disabled now for life you need to look after and be there but actually you don't need to. No. That's she does good. have people. She does. She she has good friends. And and I wish her well. Here's the thing. That's how I do love her. Mm-hmm. I wish her well. And I want happiness for her genuinely. And I hope she never feels depressed again like that. I really do. I just can't be in her life. That's all it is. Yeah. I think it's difficult, but it sounds a healthy decision for you. But it sounds yeah. like when you still need to come a little bit um, to terms yeah, with Yeah, I'm not there yet. With, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I am. Mm. So the, the book explores you being in and out of care and your mum being taken away for psychiatric treatment, but also, which is a theme that runs through lots of your books, and you know it interests me as well, memories and retrieving yeah. memories. Yeah. And did that really happen? Didn't that happen? What's the truth? What's not the truth? Memories have always been a theme in your books, which I think is why I've always been fascinated by them. Yes. My own memory, like yours in the past, is fragmented shall we say and I did wonder if writing the memoir would help me retrieve some of the things that I've forgotten Mm -hmm. because some of the things that I've forgotten are childhood sexual abuse and I know these things happened because because people have asked me before how can you know if you can't remember everything I just know these things happened because I remember certain things there was a boyfriend my mother had and he moved in very quickly and I know now, looking back, there were signs of grooming. As an adult, I can see that now, that he, he separated. I was in a bedroom with my two sisters. He separated us all in different rooms on our own. He uh, separated us from our mother a lot. And he would sort of threaten us with, you know, if you're not good, your mum will go back in hospital. Now, to say that to a child whose mother has recently been in the hospital is a huge threat. And I know that he came into my bedroom at night. And I know that it was not to tell me fairy tales or, you know, be a fatherly figure. Beyond that, I cannot remember. But the, I think we've said this before, haven't we, Madeline? The body knows what the body knows, even if the mind cannot remember. The heart can remember, the body can remember. And, and I wondered if I would remember writing the book and I didn't really get anything more come back. So I guess it's not ready to come back yet. And is it important for you to retrieve all of the memories and remember? Because when my memories came back, I'm like, oh, I don't want to see these. It was too much for me. But then now I'm, I'm better that the memories came back. Or do you think maybe I'll just never know the answers to these questions that I have? I feel now, because I, I've written the book and, and the memories didn't return, I feel like I'm coming towards making peace with the fact that, no, I, I may never. M- maybe 10-year-old me is withholding them to protect me just like maybe I have always protected everybody maybe that child in me is now looking after me and thinking no we'll just we'll just leave those where they are 
what what good can come perhaps of knowing the details when you know the thing happened but what good can come of the actual details and I think that's a good point yeah absolutely so that that's a good place to get to and just kind of leave it open I guess and see what happens yeah yeah because obviously never say never you know Sadly for you, it was a, it was a shock and a surprise. I mean, that, that could happen to me. Who knows? We did get our care records because we were on the observation register with the social workers for about four years. Mm-hmm. And because my brother was fostered and then we lived with my grandmas, we had care records. So we did apply for them, wondering if there might be more information. But sadly, there's a lot blacked out yeah. where it's redacted. redacted yeah. yeah. And, and I applied <laughs> for my notes from the psychiatric ward that I was in and... They had no idea anyway. Even though I know what went on, they had no idea. So it may be there and they may not know. Or it might they might not know, you know. Mm. Who knows oh, what's that's in interesting, those isn't redacted it? parts. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the sad thing is the redacted parts probably have all the answers, don't they? But there's nothing we can ever do about that. I suppose the redactions are a bit like our memories, aren't they? That we've redacted our memories yep. in protection of ourselves. Yeah, and, and I, I, as a psychotherapist, as you know I am, I think that our mind just shuts it down because as a little girl, it would have been too huge for you to be present mm. with those memories. And I do believe that when the time comes and we're really okay, what we need to know will come back. So maybe you've got as much as you need to know right now. Mm. Maybe. Yeah. Um, it, enough to write the book and, um, and, and talk about the after effects yep. because I don't remember the, the the events, but I do remember the after effects, Absolutely. the eating disorders, the, the horrific um, sort of self-hatred. And um, because my form of self-harm was um, promiscuity once I was um, older and briefly drinking a lot and self-harming in the way that I can remember that I used to destroy my own things that I loved it sounds a bit crazy, but I once... It sounds like punishing yourself. Punishing myself, yeah. I, I remember once I saved up to buy these beautiful curtains in my bedroom and, and one time as a teenager, I just had a meltdown and just cut them up. And then afterwards I thought, why did I do that? And I didn't even know, but I see now it was a way of expressing pain. Yeah. You know, extreme pain. Mate, well, for me, I can only speak from my point of view, the way I used to rebel and couldn't speak out... I would just hope that people guessed. <laughs> people oh. would guess by my behaviour, you know, what was going on. I thought they'd all be mind readers and it must be obvious, you know, the way I'm behaving. I didn't know that at the time. It's only looking back now as a, with adult eyes. That's what I wow. think was going on. Oh, and the sad thing is in today's world, we're a bit more in tune and we're educated more. Mm. Somebody might have done now, mm. but back when we were that age. There was no trauma-informed no, work. Mm. No. So what no. did writing Daffodils, a memoir, do for you because it's so different to um a fiction novel yeah you're the main character in your story <laughs> <laughs> well first of all what I did want to do is not paint myself as, as anything uh you know like a perfect character I was prepared to show my flaws as much if that makes sense I didn't just want to be honest about my mother because that wasn't fair if I wasn't honest about me so I did share my um promiscuous days my own flaws and my own wrongdoings that we all have and do Mm -hmm. but I think um I've said this before already today I think I was able to make peace in a way with the past I was able to put an underline beneath it um put it in its place get some perspective on it put it into order Mm -hmm. um because I'm quite a tidy person in the house (laughs) 
<laughs> so oh, I like it's I quite tidy. It's, I would say it's fair to say it's bordering on OCD tidiness. This is OCD. Yeah, yeah I, am a, it is. I am. And I felt like I could tidy up the past in a way okay. by putting it in these neat chapters. This is there, that's there, that's there. Um, and that helped me because in the way it helps me to tidy the house. <laughs> so does it feel ordered now, your mind? Is that what you're saying? Definitely. I fi- Do you know what? Since I've written the memoir as a person and a writer, perhaps, mm-hmm. I feel like I've really come very far. I f- yeah, I feel like the fact that I made the decision about my mum mm-hmm. and um there are a couple of other things that I've like made decisions about in my life I feel like yeah I've I've gained strength I've grown up I've at at the age of 50 grown up (laughs) that's 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 what yeah that's what and I'm I'm very honored to be one of your beta readers so I get to read a lot of your books before they even publish some won't be published till next year and I think creatively there's (laughs) been a massive massive shift in you as well I think combination of the lockdown but also putting this down on paper it seems to have unlocked a new Louise Beach it's you are absolutely right because I feel like the book that I wrote straight after Daffodils mm-hmm. I feel like and you've read it and you know about yep. it and it's, it's the one that I can't genius. talk about it's genius I, I can't we can't talk about it yet but yeah soon. Hopefully by the time this airs it will have all yes. been announced but I feel like it's hard to pick your favourite book. And I, right, I'm not saying it's my favourite then, mm-hmm. I, but I will say I felt like I I wrote one of the best books that I've written yeah. so far. Like the idea and the, the largeness of it and the scale of it, it it's like an epic, isn't it? It, it to... needs to be on Netflix. <laughs> it's just the best. Oh, my gosh, I can't wait, listeners, readers, for you to... I know all the Louis Speech fans out there will be waiting and waiting for this to come out, but it it was a different level, Lou. It was so different. Yeah, it was, and and I feel like... The memoir led to that. I might never have written that without the memoir. And without lockdown, I agree, without lockdown was a huge player in that. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. So I know that writing has really kind of been, or reading as well, has kind of been a therapy for you, hasn't it? Oh, God, yes. Writing was a therapy as a child. I didn't know it then. when I didn't have the tools to realise it then. But I've written stories since I was seven or eight. And I would write stories while to put it in a dramatic way the world's falling down around me yeah. and I'd be writing stories and I wrote stories when we were away from my mother and I lived with my grandma um, and then in teenage years extended that to writing my own teen novels that I did then and always 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 escaped into a made-up creative world of my own. Yeah what does I was going to say what does writing do for you but there you've kind of hinted it is an escape isn't it? Yeah oh gosh yeah escape adventure and do you know what that there's very little apart from my family and my beloved friends there's very little that brings me as much joy as writing brings it brings complete joy and peace to me I just adore it I mean I as a non-fiction writer really struggle to understand how you fiction writers do it and when I have conversations with you and you say oh I didn't know my character was going to do that oh the endings change <laughs> you're in command of the pen and the paper how do you not know the way the book's going to go I don't know. We just set off Madeline and these characters, they are real people. And I'll maybe write a scene and then realise that, oh, she wants to do that now. And I didn't mm. know that before I wrote the scene. And it's, um, 
Can you see why I love it? Come on, it's yeah. an adventure. So it really kind of, it's like metamorphosis. So it really takes hold of you, doesn't it? And Absolutely. you become that character. It's, yeah. It is fascinating. But to hear you say, oh, I didn't know it's going to end like that. To me, <laughs> oh, that, that hurts my head a little bit. Because obviously <laughs> writing a nonfiction, I know how it was going to end. It was me in the book. But uh, yeah, that's That's what's weird about writing the memoir, to be fair. I knew where that was going. Yeah. And I knew what. So the other one, you kind of just go with the flow, but your memoir, you had to really, I guess, know it. You didn't have to, you didn't, you could plot it, really. You didn't have to just yeah. wait and see where it went. No. Did you no. plot it before you wrote it? Did you think this will happen and this will happen and this will happen? The only thing I knew was that I would have a, a present day timeline, which was my mum having jumps and the recovery, and there would be flashbacks to the past. But I did actually get a surprise yeah. because. COVID and the pandemic happened halfway and that became another part of the narrative of the now now beyond the now of a year ago the now now and me going back to the foreshore to look for the daffodils and the world's quiet and we've all come inside so in a way I still got a surprise with the memoir (laughs) and it was interesting wasn't it with COVID times and the writing community do we write about the pandemic do we ignore it and you think well in those two years nobody's going to mention what went on you know it's a moment in history really isn't it Oh yeah, we have to write about it. This is this is this is why, uh, for want of a better word, I've been given this gift to write. Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to write about these things. Absolutely. So we know when you, not so much when you write, but when you speak, especially about the difficult things, you do um, <laughs> layer it with a lot of humour. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do. I do. I've. Um... Is that still you protecting yourself or wanting to make the other person feel okay, or is there another meaning? Or do you even know that you do it? (laughs) (laughs) I think it's all of those things because I do like to make people feel better and good. If I'm in a room with someone and I think that they feel uncomfortable, I'll be the one who will try and lighten the mood with a joke, make them feel welcome. So that is the truth too. Hiding and hiding how I'm really feeling with humour, that's another thing that's probably true. That said, the humour's still real though. And I, I do still really love to laugh and be joyful that's yeah. real it doesn't mean that that's a facade and I'm not like that I am like that I am like that but I will also use that that gift of the humor when I can't say something that's difficult because that really just comes across in speaking to you because in your books they are raw and they are <laughs> heartfelt and they're quite um difficult topics that you write about you know they're not just light easy topics to read they're all pretty there's some consciousness in every book, some social yeah. setting that affects a lot of people in society. Yeah, I, I, I like to get my teeth into things when I write. I, like people say that, you know, you are funny and light and, and warm. You know, would you ever write a book that's very lighthearted and like that? And I think, no, I probably wouldn't. Yeah. Um, I like to get my teeth into things. But as a person, I, people are surprised when they meet me. I've had a few people say that, oh, I thought I'd meet you when you'd be ever so serious. <laughs> They say the same to me. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? Because of our because of our books, but um, I am serious. Obviously, that's a a big part of my personality. I, I am serious, but I do genuinely love to. Have and fun I guess it's interesting, isn't it? People would assume that after having such a difficult childhood, it'd be hard to find joy and compassion and laughter again. So, how do you do that? Hmm. It's natural, Madeline. I think it's not. It's not forced. I genuinely love people and I genuinely love the people I've chosen to be friends with and, and my family. Um, I don't know what else to say other than that. 
But that's interesting, isn't it? In the darkest of times, you can still laugh. So you say that's natural, but to me, that's that's part of your resilience. Yeah, and I'm probably not aware of that. I'm saying it's natural, aren't I? It's probably not. I've probably built that 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 up. But I'm getting better, Good. especially knowing you and doing the things <laughs> I've done at talking about the serious things seriously without you know then doing a punchline of a joke at the end. Yeah. I'm getting better at that. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It's just habits, I guess. So we know in the beginning it took you a long time to get published. It was like 10 years yeah. or so, wasn't it? Did you ever yeah, think yeah. you were going to just give up, just put them back in the drawer and just uh, stop? What drove you to just go with it and never give up? Because now you work as a full-time writer, don't you? Finally, the dream, Madeline. Finally. The last, I gave up my job in the theatre, which I did love. I loved my job, but I gave it up. Do you know what? I'm, I'm going to really annoy and irritate people, but I'm being honest here. I never had a moment where I wanted to stop writing, ever. Even with all of my first four books having been rejected by every single publisher going and every single agent, I would have just written the fifth book if I hadn't got my book deal. I've never wanted to. I've had a moment where Joe, my husband, God love him, Mm -hmm. saw me very upset about not getting published and said, is it time to stop? Because I hate seeing you this upset. And I just got so annoyed. I was like, no, no, just because I'm upset. I'm not going to stop. I'm just upset. But what I do is I wipe myself down, stand up, carry on. I'm I'm not going to stop. I never would. It just shows how how therapeutic writing is for you. And I think how healing it is as well, even though you've maybe touched on different elements of your life and different books, you know, I'm thinking of... um, Maria in the Moon and... Um, Mountain in my shoe, how to be brave. Yes. Life. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the, the, there's elements of your life in all of those books, really. But it seems that it's it's more than just wanting to be a writer. It's it's a lifesaver for you. It is. It's, do you know what? I'm not... Somebody said yesterday, a friend of mine, she said, you're not Louise Beach who writes, you are a writer. It's in your DNA. And I'm, Absolutely. It is. It's in, it is. Just like people are musical, I suppose, and it's in their DNA. Yep. Yeah, I was born it, this way. <laughs> which is a very interesting link into your next book, isn't it? Yeah. Nothing else. Um, yeah. The sisters and music and uh, separated families and all of it, which is coming out in the summer, but we shall leave people to go and find out about that because we're coming to the end, Lou. I told oh. you it would just go so quick. It does. What advice would you leave people with? You know, what would be your, your parting word? Oh, what's advice? The cliche is don't give up. Um, and that means don't give up on you. Don't give up on writing. What do you mean okay. don't give up on? <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, don't give up on trying. Don't give up on striving. Don't give up on having faith in yourself. Um, don't be... I say don't be afraid of the frightening things, but we can't not be, can we? Because I'm still afraid of many things. Um, But as we get stronger and older, I guess we find the courage to finally look at these things with time. So I suppose don't be afraid of time. Um, That was a bit vague, wasn't it? I didn't sound like a very good writer then, did I? (laughs) (laughs) Not sure. What you're really saying is it takes the time that it takes and just be patient. Yes, be kind to yourself. Oh, that's a big one, isn't it? Be kind to yourself. Lou, it's just been such a pleasure to speak to you. And by the time this is out, Daffodils will be available. At the moment, it's only going to be on audio, though, isn't it? 
It is, but my agent has sent it out to publishers, so I may have more news by then, hopefully. Fantastic. Well, which, whichever way it is out in the world, people should just go listen, and hopefully they will be reading it, um, and just it will just introduce them to the amazing storyteller that you are. So thank you. I, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure. Pleasure was mine. Unbroken healing through storytelling. If you haven't already, go on, download, subscribe, give us a five-star rating. It really helps us get this important and life-changing message out to as many people as possible. There is already a selection of fantastic episodes to choose from and a brand new one coming soon. Unbroken healing through storytelling. Playing now on all the main platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher for Android, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and here. Play Unbroken, the podcast with Madeline Black.